Welcome back to the Walk the Word podcast. My name is James and I'm the pastor here at Sar Fellowship in the Kingdom of Bahrain. And this is our midweek audio-only teaching where we are walking through God's Word one chapter a week. This week we land in Leviticus chapter 9 and as we say almost every week if you've never read this chapter, if you've not read Leviticus 9 in the recent past, go ahead and press pause, read it. And then we'll come back together as we seek to know and grow in the Word. So Leviticus 9 picks up, as you would expect, exactly where chapter 8 left off. It is one continuous narrative of the consecration and the installation of Aaron as the high priest and his sons as priests in support of him. As we left in chapter 8 last week, they were spending seven days um, in and around the tabernacle. Chapter 8, verse 35 says, At the entrance of the tent of meeting, you shall remain day and night for seven days, performing what the Lord has charged, so that you do not die, for so I have been commended. And we said that every day they were going to go through the process of uh, consecrating themselves, setting themselves apart for God's service with everything that we talked about last week in chapter 8. And as we begin chapter 9 in verse 1, we read that on the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, representing the, the entire nation, the congregation of people. And Moses says to Aaron, Take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish and offer them before the Lord. So even though Aaron is going to have this hugely... Uh, important, uh, very respected, huge uh, job of responsibilities, the high priest, this hugely honored position, he is still a guy who sins. He spent the last seven days in and around the tabernacle, the tent of meeting where God's presence is with his people. And Aaron has still, in that time, accumulated sins in and for himself. He still needs to offer sin offerings. He spent the last seven days sitting in and around the tabernacle, the place where God's presence dwells with his people, and he still needs to give a burnt offering to give more of himself. And this is really important that it's done for and in front of the people, the elders that Aaron is going to serve as the priest. The, the representing the people as a whole, the nation as a whole, the congregation of Israel, of God's people. Aaron is offering uh, sacrifices for his own sins, sins of his own uh, committing. He's offering sacrifices, he's offering offerings, he's giving offerings, he's making offerings, sin offerings, burnt offerings in front of the people to show them that he is just like them. He is a sinful, fallen, and fallible person who needs sacrifices and he needs forgiveness and he needs to continually show his commitment and his dedication to God through the giving of offerings. So all this happens uh, and we see in verse 7 that Moses says to Aaron, draw near to the altar, offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. A really 
good and a strong point of comparison with Jesus. Jesus didn't need to offer sacrifices for himself as our great high priest because scripture tells us, Paul writes the Corinthians, that he was without sin. Jesus didn't need to offer sacrifices for his own sins first as Aaron did. Aaron, very much like the people in their sinful and fallen and fallible state. So he, he offers a sacrifice for his own sin first and then for the people. I read this week that Aaron had to first deal with his own sin and only then could he truly function as a priest standing between God and the people, ready to serve others. In verses 8 through to 11, he is he's working through these rituals, the process of sacrifices, and it's done in front of the people. So he draws near to the altar. He kills the calf, which is for himself. Uh, he dips his finger in the blood, puts it on the horns of the altar, pours it out at the base of the altar. Uh, things that are commanded uh, in previous chapters. He does it by the book. He does things properly. But he is showing people here that he needs his own sin to be atoned for. He is relatable, he is approachable, he is humble. He needs his own sin to be atoned for. And in doing this, he's setting a great example to the people. This is how it's done. This is what God has said works. This is what God says, and so therefore, this is what we're going to do, and I'm going to do it first to show you and, and to, to show you, look, this is how it works. But also, look, I trust in this. Aaron's not some guy just, you know, blindly following a, a religious system that he doesn't really believe in. He's doing it for himself first and then for the people. In verses 15 to 21, that is what we see. Their sacrifices and their offerings, their everything that the people wants to give to God, how the people relate to God is through this office, through this role of the high priest. If you just kind of scan that passage with me, verses 15 to 21, uh, if you're just listening without your Bible in front of you, you're going to have to take my word for it, but do uh, go ahead and look at it later. So verses 15 to 21, maybe just 15 to 17, we read, he presented, this is Aaron, he presented the people's offerings. Uh, he presented the burnt offering. He presented the grain offering. Uh, he killed the ox. He threw uh, the blood against the sides of the altar. So Aaron is this person. In, he is in this role. He is in this position as the mediator between God and men. Now, if you're more of a visual uh, learner, if you like things laid out for you visually rather than just listening to a podcast when you're in the car, I would really encourage you to go over to thebibleproject.com, uh, find their series of videos about the royal priests. Uh, it begins all the way back in Eden uh, with Adam and Eve, and it progresses this narrative through Abraham, Melchizedek, and the third episode is about Moses and Aaron, it then continues uh, to David, to Jesus, and then the royal priesthood that born-again believers now find themselves a part of. So if you're more of a visual person and you want more information about uh, this, 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 this 
theme, this narrative, this thread of priesthood, of mediator between God and man, uh, go ahead, bibleproject.com, uh, find it under the themes, videos, and it is good, good, good stuff. There are videos, there are PDFs, there are study notes. Uh, it's, yeah, it's just great, 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 great stuff. So Aaron has offered sacrifices for his own sins. He's then worked through this wonderful uh, process of, of sacrifices and offerings for the people. And then it progresses uh, in verses 15 to the to 21. And he first offers a sin offering, a burnt offering, a grain offering, a peace offering, and a wave offering. And if you read around this, the order in which they do stuff, nothing is arbitrary. Nothing is, well, just because that's how Aaron fancied doing it. If you read around this, you're going to see that it is on purpose. First, sin is atoned for. Sin is put away. Then life, work, self is devoted to God. Then communion is made possible because we've made peace with God. Then there is a blessing that speaks of acceptance and, and that, that God is pleased, that divine satisfaction. And then at the end of this chapter, the proof that all of this is good in the eyes of God is what we read of in verse 23. Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting and when they came out, they blessed the people and the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Fire came out from before the Lord, consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. There are so many references that we could throw out uh, to do with fire and God's presence and work. Uh, I'd encourage you to go and look those up. There are just so many uh, in the Old Testament, too many to just read out in a list. Uh, we often see fire associated with God's presence uh, and God's work. Uh, just too many, so many references. Uh, but the proof, the evidence, the, the guarantee that, like, yes, these sacrifices are good enough. That's what we need in this place and at this time is the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people through this spontaneous, divine, miraculous fire. Now again, if you read around this, some people are going to say it's like a pillar of fire that guided them through the wilderness. Some are going to say it's kind of like lightning because Job uses a very similar word. It might be the same word to talk about lightning and, and fire. Uh, and others that this fire spontaneously appeared on the altar. However it looked, it's a divine, miraculous, spectacular fire from God. Not Moses and Aaron. It's not a trick. And the people see it. They see the glory of it, the weight, the heaviness. The reverence is so obvious among them when they shout and fall on their faces. That is such a common reaction to seeing, experiencing the glory of the Lord, uh, an angelic messenger, the presence. We see it so many times in scripture. People see it and they fall 
down. It is so heavy, weighty. It is so overwhelmingly spectacular that people experience the presence of God, the glory of God, and just fall down. And I read this week that what's going on here is that they're bowing so intentionally, their, their face is touching the floor. And in the Old Testament, in this place, at this time, this was the most profound way to show your respect and your reverence for what is happening and the, the person before you. So falling on their face, having seen the glory of God, is just the ultimate way of the people showing reverence and the deepest, deepest of respects. How this looks in our life then, we said that the presence of God, the glory, the fire was given as proof, as evidence, as a guarantee that the sacrifice had been accepted, that the people were on the right path. This was their method in this place and at this time where sinful people uh, could be in the presence of a holy and righteous God. And for you and for me, we know, don't we, that is through the person and the work of Jesus. Uh, how this looks in our life then is Jesus is now the high priest who gave himself as the sacrifice. He didn't need first, we read in Hebrews, to make atonement for his own sins, but freely and willingly gave his sinless and spotless self as the all-sufficient sacrifice. The proof, the evidence, the guarantee, the glory of God, the presence of God in our lives is the Holy Spirit manifest, his, as the Holy Spirit manifests his presence at Pentecost. And again, it was fire here on the altar. And if you read Acts chapter 2, verse 3, the Holy Spirit descending at Pentecost, this spectacular, miraculous thing, was what looked like tongues of fire. And so the transfer, the connection, the point for you and me is that we can also experience the presence of God, the proof, the guarantee, the glory of God through his spirit living in our lives and living in us and working through us. It's no longer a fire that burns up a sacrifice on an altar. It's his personal presence that lives in you once you've put your hope and your faith and your trust in Jesus and the sacrifice that he made to atone for your sins when life and work is devoted to him, when communion with God is experienced and, and accepted and entered into because Jesus has made peace with God, because the, God's righteous anger against the sin in your life has been atoned for, has been paid for, has been settled, the debt has been paid. And then the huge blessing, the acceptance, the divine satisfaction, the proof, the evidence, the guarantee that it's enough and it's good enough is his spirit living in your life. Next week, we will get into Leviticus chapter 10, where we see the death of Nadab and Abihu. But until then, God bless. <laughs>